Uh, to kick us off, um, you, you have an opening question right off the bat. What are some silly things that people tend to fight about? Uh, what are some silly things that people tend to disagree and fight about? I'll give you an example. People tend to fight about which one is better, iPhone or Android. Clearly, Android is better. Everyone else is wrong. Um, but you know, and that just triggered a whole bunch of people. So uh, what else? <laughs> Welcome to the team, Kim. This is the winning side. Um, right, Jim? Right? Yeah. Okay, so take a couple minutes to discuss what are some silly things that people tend to uh, fight about. All right, um, just out of curiosity, what were some of the answers you came up with? This table was talking about pineapple on pizza. That is a ferocious one. That one gets, gets a little animated. Anything else? Any other? Board games? Oh yeah, we will fight over board games. Rules, uh, yep, that is, uh, God has put a competitive spirit in us, I think, a little bit. Anything else? Any other? Who's taller? Yeah, why? Why do we fight over that one? Yes, but. <laughs> who's mom's favorite? Yes, yes. Is it, okay, I don't know about anybody else, but I find that daughters fight that I'm the favorite and sons fight you're the favorite. Kind of like it's a bad thing to be the favorite. Is that true or is that just my family? Okay, um, anything else? One more. Toilet paper, over, under. Beard or mullet? That's how I was told, beard or mullet. That's, okay. <laughs> what, that's, that's beard? Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Which one is it? Mullet. Mullet. Okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so given enough time, people will find the silliest things to fight about. Uh, this morning in 1 Timothy 1, we're going to see a couple of major things that Paul is going to discuss with his young protege. So I want to touch on a few of the topics, and then I'm going to hand it over to you for the duration, for the rest of the service, to discuss the questions that are in front of you. But here are the three major things Paul's going to touch on. Number one, the gospel. First and foremost, the biggest one that he's going to ever talk about is the power and the importance and the centrality of the gospel. And the reality is, is so often teaching can start to sway from that. We try so focused on trying to find the new great thing. And this is what was happening in the Ephesian church. They got their hands on a copy of the Old Testament and they were digging in and they're trying to find some new radical teaching, some new angle that they could bring to their body. And uh, Paul's like, stop it. Stop getting distracted with these little things and focus on the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Because the gospel is of paramount importance. Paul goes so far to say that in verse 15, he's like, this is a statement that everyone should accept. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's the whole statement. And so that should be our goal as a church. It should be our goal as believers is to communicate that one thing. Christ came to save sinners. And that is almost the entire gospel saved, summed up right there because believe it or not you and i are sinners and regardless of how long we've been in the church we still need jesus we still need jesus to step in to speak into our lives to lead us guide us empower us uh, we will never be without our need for him because we will always be sinners and we praise him that he died came back to life brought victory where there was death and this is the gospel and anything that strays from the gospel it's just 
what Paul would consider to be meaningless teaching. If, it's not come, if it doesn't point to Christ, if it doesn't come back to Jesus, then it's just wasted airways. So number one, most important, is the importance and the centrality of the gospel. Number two, the purpose. So, Jesus, so in the NLT it says the purpose of my teaching. Um, some commentators say it was probably actually meant the purpose of the Old Testament. But regardless, he says that the purpose of my teaching was that you would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. These are the things that, teaching, that the Old Testament and Paul's teaching were meant to inspire within the church. And how do we get a pure heart? It was only by the gospel. The only thing that can purify our heart is the work of Jesus coming in, forgiving us, and purifying us. A clear conscience, however, we can do, what, we can do a lot of things to prevent that. Because a guilty conscience will distract us. A guilty conscience will draw us away from God because we feel bad. We feel ashamed. We don't want to come to God. So Paul says, in order to prevent that, to protect your prayer life, to protect that relationship, keep your conscience clear. And a genuine faith. A genuine faith is a different than strong faith. We so often talk about strengthening our faith. But Paul says, no, you need to be genuine. You need to be authentic. Because there's times where your faith isn't strong there's times where your faith isn't we struggle we doubt there's and that's all okay because god is bigger than our struggles god is bigger than our doubts god is bigger and so he's not looking for this fake put on the mask and pretend everything's all good he says bring a genuine faith a genuine faith that there's times where it's right and there's times where it's wrong and both are okay Love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And the clear conscience and the genuine faith, Paul actually brings up twice. And, the, <clears throat> and I think that's because those are the things that we can work on. The pure heart is Jesus' domain. We can't work on our heart. Only he can fix that. But we can work on our faith because our faith is trusting that God is who he says he is. Trusting that he's going to do what, he's gonna, what he says he's going to do. And walking in a way that obeys. That Walking in a way that is a response to that, so walking in obedience, that's faith. So we can control that. In a clear conscience, we can avoid the things that make us feel guilty, that draw us away from God. We can control that. But a pure heart, well, it's got to start there, and those other things radiate from there. So clear, a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And third thing he talks about is this whole idea of disputes. As I said earlier, so the Ephesian church had got their hands on a copy of the Old Testament and they were digging in and they're trying to find some new angle. They're trying to find some new thing. And because they were nitpicking the Old Testament, they're fighting about it. They were arguing about whether or not this was right or wrong or they, all these needless things. And the silly thing is, is that it hasn't changed. If you look at churches across our nation, you look at all the different denominations, the splits that happen denominationally are over the silliest of things. These small little disagreements, and we have whole churches splitting off over it, and Paul's like, we need to stop fighting about these meaningless things. We need to get back to the gospel. The one thing that we all need to agree on, if we don't agree on the gospel, then that's the problem, okay? That is a fight worth fighting. But other than that, all these little intricacies of faith, 
We can come, we can discuss them, we can refine our understanding with them, but we can't be fighting about them because it's just silly and meaningless. And so Paul calls us back to the gospel. He says there is one fight that's worth fighting. It's the Lord's fight. It's not a coincidence that Paul brings up warfare with Timothy the same way he brought up warfare to the letter he wrote to the Ephesians. Right? In the, Ephesian, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your brothers and sisters. It's not against the church. It's not against people who don't come to church. Your fight is against the spiritual enemy because your spiritual enemy has never stopped trying to divide the church. And it's the same today. Your fight is not with each other. Your fight is for each other because the only fight worth fighting is the one for our soul and the one for your neighbor's soul and the one for your, your kid's soul and your parent's soul and whoever else God has put in your life. That's the only fight worth fighting. And we don't fight people for that. We fight a spiritual enemy. And the only way we can prepare ourselves for that fight is to have a clear conscience and a genuine faith. Paul says, cling to your faith so that you're ready for that battle. Keep your conscience clear so your enemy can't use your guilt to draw you away and distract you from it. Three things that Paul, and I mean, he talks about a lot of things in this chapter, but these are the three big ones I want you to focus on. The gospel, the centrality of it, the importance of it, genuine faith, love from a pure heart, and a clear conscience. And instead of finding things to fight, because there's a lot of things that divide us, instead we need to hold on to the thing that unites us. That same spirit that indwells each and every one of us when we declare Jesus as Lord and Savior is in all of us, and it unites us. The purpose of the church unites us. We are united. And we need to be united because Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself will fall. So we need to fight for that unity. We need to stop fighting with each other. We need to start fighting for each other. We need to start fighting for our community. So that is my opening thoughts for you to kind of give you some framework. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you now. You have your discussion questions on the table. There's three of them. And uh, we're going to take the next 10, 15 minutes to go over it. I will not rush you. Um, Have at it. But I want to close with this. Um, I said that there's some big changes coming to the church. One of the things that we're changing is we're changing some of our language. We've talked about being an equipping church that helps people prepare them for ministry. And those are really big, scary words because there's ministry and equipping and ex- expectation. And, and it just hasn't really resonated. And one of the things I really like about this um, this particular passage is it talks about how we are... The point of us gathering and hearing the teaching of the gospel is that we'd be filled with love. And one of the things that I said last week, and I'll say it again, one of the major themes that comes out in the letter to the Ephesians is you need to fight for unity. You need to fight for peace. There's actually more that unites us and divides us. And so we're going to start using words like relationship. 
you read through scripture and it's all a bunch of stories about how people relate to God, how people relate to each other, whether they're believers or enemies, how they relate to their spouses, how they relate to family. You, this, this is all about relationship and we forget that our faith is a relationship with Christ. We forget that our relation, that God is actually vested in our relationships and so we're going to talk about that because I don't want anybody else, but I am tired of watching marriages fall apart in our society. I'm, wa- I'm tired of watching families be divided. And, and God has given us all the keys and tools we need to have healthy, not just healthy surviving relationships, but healthy thriving relationships. And not just relationships with each other, but our relationship with, with money and food and it's everything. And so we're going to talk about, we're going to start using that kind of language. We're going to start having those kinds of discussions. And so I want to close with this. In a world where there's so much working to divide us, we live in a society that is so individualistic. It's all about me. It's all about my opinion. If you don't agree with me, then you hate me. How can we take the lead on maintaining unity? And not just in our little family of faith. This is, we do need to maintain, there's so much that tries to, threaten the unity here. We need to fight for the unity that's here, but not just here. How do we fight for unity in our marriages? How do we fight for peace in our families? How do we, and the big question is, are you willing to be the one who steps into those struggles, into those, into those threatening, divisive places, and be the voice of peace? Be the voice that, are you willing to be the glue that holds it all together? Because it's intimidating, it can be scary, but as Paul says to his young son in the faith, he says it's worth fighting for. It's worth putting aside these silly disputes and fighting for the unity, fighting for your togetherness, fighting for peace so that we can continue to work together to see the kingdom of God come to fullness. As we say in the Lord's Prayer, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our goal as a church is to help make that realized in our time.